Your attention, please. Paul and Alex are required to proceed to the gate immediately. What? No way. What is happening here? This is the last call for the Layovers podcast. Really? Come on, man. This is our thing. We got this. Oh, yeah. And we made it. Of course, geeks. Flight 86 to... Uh, what's the airport, Alex? Philly Bishop. Philly <laughs> Bishop, Toronto. It's their London city, and it's a great little airport named after a very wonderful and impressive man, William Avery Bishop, who was a Canadian um, flying ace in the First World War. Wow. Yeah. Well, there you go. Wow, I, had, I had no idea. I've, I've actually... I've never been to Toronto, at least that I remember because I might have gone as a kid, but for sure never to that airport, because if I had connected ever there, it would have been to the big one. Right? Yes, so. yeah, it's usually regional stuff, but uh, oh, it's a great little airport and a, home to a great little airline as well in Porter. But yeah, the man who was named after, William Avery Bishop, Victoria Cross, Military Cross, I mean, you name it, he was wow. an incredible man. I encourage you, everybody, to go and read about him. Every possible flying achievement or accolade that one can receive he had (laughs) (laughs) i had no idea well we'll talk about the airport at the end i've never been so alex will tell you all about it as you can see we're trying to rotate between airports in different continents this one is north america so we'll do a quite a lot of north american news actually obviously very u.s centric Uh, We had a, I forgot who said that, probably it's in the reviews that we're going to do later. We had someone that says we're very sometimes European, Asian, and North American centric. It's true, uh, because that's where we go. Yeah. (laughs) So Alex is, uh, like you know from the last episode, is going to Mexico. So that's North America, because geographically it is. Yeah. But at least it's venturing out a little bit, like Monterey, like you did a few episodes ago. Yeah, we do uh, need... I, I, I keep... My problem is, is I look at South America and think, wow, that's really far away. But I go to Asia all the freaking time, which is <laughs> further in many instances, depending on where you're going. So I need to stop thinking that and just and just go and film an episode or just go. We talked, I'm not going to reveal, but we talked uh, yesterday, the two of us, about a uh, holiday destination for you. So that could be there as well. So let's see if that happens. If that happens, when that happens, we'll talk about the airport. Yes. Because I've been there but like so long ago that it must be a totally different airport anyway if you guys and i'm sure all of you all our listeners and thank you for being uh listeners by the way because we have a lot more of organic uh listenership happening so i don't know where they're coming from but hello everyone so if you don't watch attache you should alex travel guide on youtube and one of the things that Alex does every single time on every single episode, almost every single episode, <laughs> let's be honest, he talks about tipping from the other places you don't tip to the place you can tip to the places you shouldn't tip. Japan, obviously. So let's talk about tipping in planes because Frontier just announced that they will accept tipping. So they've already been accepting tipping for quite a while. Uh, so Frontier, for those who don't know, is a low-cost airline in the U.S., but since the 1st of January, and re- recording today, the 22nd of January 2019, I was about to say 2018, my God, the tips are now individual. So every flight attendant gets his or her own tip. So, Mr. Tipping, uh, what do you think about this? I'm massively conflicted about this. I think, on one hand, I can't think of another service industry, and let's face it, they are a service industry, in flight attendants that, in America at least, that don't uh, have the ability to accept tips. 
restaurant staff, hotel, every form of hotel staff, crews, every taxi drivers, they all have the ability to accept tips and, and more often a lot, you know, protocol demands that you, that you tip them, but it's always been off limits to, uh, to flight attendants. And I think because up until what, 15 years ago, it was a transaction-less environment. So there was nothing to, to add on to. And then you were, you were really just basing it purely on reaching into your pocket and giving them some cash at the end of the flight. But now that we've, we've got so much buy on board and, and all of that, where there is the opportunity and the mechanism in card readers to do that, it makes sense on a practical level. I don't know how I feel about it. I don't, there's something that sits very uncomfortably with me about it. I don't know. I think that those people are, are extraordinarily underpaid for what they have to put up with. So I think that that's good. I don't, I don't know. I'm very, very torn about this. What, what do you think? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's part of a larger debate. But uh, as you say repeatedly on Attaché, actually, and I do agree with you, I think debating the Culture of tipping is useless because at the end of the day, you can have an opinion, but that's it. If you go to the US, you tip most of the time. That's it. That's part of the culture. You can, you know, shout about it if you want online, but at the end of the day, you're there. You're, that's part of the culture. Now, in flight, the one thing that to me is a bit conflicting besides the point you said about wages and the fact that you know you want maybe to thank someone for doing a great job is the yeah. fact that a flight attendant to me is first and foremost someone there for your safety not someone there for their smile or their comfort and should i tip someone for safety that's where the conflict and i think that uh, even the, what's the name of the, the, the Association of Flight Attendants of the U.S., mm. that their president and chairman also said basically that, that what is a flight attendant the other day? So I, I also don't an know. interesting point. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange one. And I think if, you know, if you're, if you're buying something on an IFE system, then who, who does the tip go to? If you think about somewhere like BA, and obviously they're not part of this conversation, but if you think about it when you're in economy and they come through and they do the buy on board, you either pay with a card or avios. You cannot pay with cash. So when they hand you yep. the, the card reader, certainly in America, you would be able to add 10, 15, 20%, probably automatically, as is the norm on the ground in America. So the mechanics I can understand. I don't know what the flight attendant, I'm sure the flight attendants would welcome this, and I, I can completely understand why. But as you say, I mean, and as we are told by captains, at the beginning of almost every flight, they are here primarily for your safety. And should we be tipping, you know, people in and I can't think of another one immediately. Like the person that uh, the subway attendant who is making sure that people get on and off safely, do they get tipped? I don't know. It's a very, very delicate uh, idea. And I don't know if we're going to see other airlines adopt this. I think the unions, as you say, are going to have a lot of influence on whether this becomes mainstream or not. I would love to hear what people think yeah. because it's such a it's such a fiery <laughs> topic you know even outside of the airline industry <laughs> yeah indeed there was this uh, fabulous segment on uh, Stephen Colbert <laughs> when he said finally a solution to solve how to thank Frontier for its amazing service yeah. <laughs> <Of course. laughs> no that's tongue in cheek I've never I've never flown Frontier it's true that sometimes the reviews are not uh, amazing but the other airlines have said no I think American has a policy to say their staff should decline tips if offered. 
I'm not sure about United, neither Delta. You guys that live in the US, let us know what do you do? And have you seen other companies accept tips and what do they do with it? I, I, I don't know. This is not going to go away overnight. <laughs> <laughs> no. And also I had read that the average salary for crew in the US is around 50K. 50K? Yeah. The average, hmm, I don't know. I, if that, it, seems, it seems high. It does seem high. It does seem high, especially considering, and I'm not saying that one is more important than the other or one is more skilled than the other, but for comparison to other roles in, on the airplane, entry-level mm. flight deck crew on regional airlines, I mean, they're getting paid under 20,000 US. Yeah. Um, and again, I'm not, it is a bit of an apples and oranges comparison, but just for context. So I yeah. I don't know. That seems high. That seems, that seems high. high. Uh, again, not to dismiss the the they have a freaking awful job, frankly. The people that they have to put up with that we see, <laughs> you know, on our on our day today, they have to do it every single day, multiple times a day. So, yeah, uh, I, I'm, I, I guess I'm exactly. I guess I'm surprised it's that high. I'm pretty sure they are paid less, which they should be paid more. But I'm, I'm not sure that fifty. But we have a flight attendant listening to us, so maybe you can actually tell us. We're not asking you to tell us your salary, but maybe to give us a. Both also your view about tipping, because would you like to get tipped? And that's not restricted to the US. I know we have uh, flight attendants from all over the world listening to us. And what do you think about salaries? Are you paid enough? Of course, most of them will say no, I guess. <laughs> well, yeah, sure. So talking about uh, being nice with uh, customers, United's uh, crew... I've been asked to be nice with Apple <laughs> because <laughs> there was this uh, release of numbers of uh, San Francisco's airport United's business. And what was it? Apple is the largest customer from San Francisco. They account for $150 million of United's annual revenue. That's that's quite a lot. The number one market for Apple is Shanghai. That accounts for 35 million of that annual revenue. That That's a lot. And apparently Apple buys 50 business class seats a United daily between these two cities, so SFO and Shanghai. Wow, that's, that's quite a lot. I'm pretty sure though, if you make the numbers here, that United is probably giving a deal to um, Apple because 50 business class and you have $35 million, that is about $2,000 per ticket, which seems low. So probably there's a, there's a, a deal. I mean, I, I don't know. But so first of all, what do you think about United releasing the numbers? I don't think they did that on purpose, right? This was absolutely not on purpose. And it was they were printed on, like you say, on these banners for an internal event, which was dumb. Uh, exactly. And then the, somebody took a photo of them and they they ended up on Twitter. And then United, I, I said this to you offline, United had the balls to then say these were leaked by Twitter, on, you know, on, on Twitter. It's like, no, someone, you put them on a freaking banner, you know, and it doesn't matter if it was if it was an internal conference, you put it on a banner. And that's like highly confidential information for you, the airline, and even more sensitive information for your customers. I am sure that Apple are fear or were furious uh, about this leak, as well as the other, the other, because there were some big companies. Yeah, so there's, I have the picture in front of me. So Facebook, Roche, which is a pharma company from Switzerland, and Google all spend over 34 million per year. And then there was between 12 and 17 million per year. There was Deloitte, McKinsey, Cisco, Applied Materials, PwC, and Oracle. And the thing is about Apple is 
the fact that the crew is being asked to be nice is that it's currently under renegotiation. So the <laughs> contract, I think it's a three-year contract. So you saying that Apple is not really happy, that batter couldn't have come at the worst time because if Apple now is negotiating, uh, maybe they're not happy. But at the end of the day, if you fly out from San Francisco, United is not your only choice, but is a major choice. To Shanghai, I don't think you have many options direct. Yeah. But I mean, and, and you know, if they're going to try and, you know, fly a U.S. airline, they're the only option. If you're happy with going via somewhere, then you've got a million different options, of course. And, and th- th- you know, that, that lends itself to renegotiation. But, uh, you know, they don't have a huge... San Francisco is a, is a focus city, obviously, for United, if not a hub city. So uh, The banner also listed the 10 biggest markets for Apple. Uh, so besides Shanghai, the second one was Hong Kong, the third one, Taipei, then London, Seoul, Singapore, Munich, Tokyo, Beijing, and Tel Aviv. All airports we basically covered. We haven't done Tel Aviv yet. We'll do soon. But all the others we have. We also fly the same destinations in Apple. We're not paid the same, though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, talking still about United. Have you seen the new uniforms? Yeah, I have. Bold. <laughs> but, so what does that mean? Because... Do you say bold, you as a U.S. citizen or as a British citizen? Because as a British citizen, it's like saying interesting. It could be bold, it's great, or bold, eh. Uh, I don't. don't I don't hate them. I don't. I think. I think it's a. It's very refreshing yeah. for for them. My stance on United is softening, and I haven't flown them at all, so I can't. That's not based on anything to do with that. But I. I think that they've. They're slowly figuring it out, and the reports that I'm getting are. Uh, are, are much better, and I think that this this actually is helping to soften the very stuffy, stuck in the '90s corporate culture that they have been clinging onto for decades. And this this helps, I think. It does. I'm always amused by the naming of the colors: Pacific Blue, Premium Purple. An Atlantic Amethyst. These are the colors. You guys figure them out or simply Google the pictures and you'll be able to find. The ones they currently have are not that great. So I'm also welcoming the new ones because at least they're more uh, distinct. They're definitely distinct. And I, I know that Johnny, the designer, is not a fan. He, he didn't think that they looked particularly cohesive because there's very different versions depending on one's role in the organization and he doesn't think that they're particularly cohesive i'm not 100 percent sure i agree with that and i I, this is not easy doing something like this i've been involved with it on the periphery of something like this and it's twice actually and it's not it's not an easy thing to do and it's certainly not easy to get consensus on these various roles as well so I, i i don't i think they're fine i think they're fine these new colors might be rolled out faster than the actual seats, which also feature the same colors. <laughs> At least yeah. this is going to be faster. Talking about Polaris, the cookbook. Oh, yes. This was one of the nicest surprises I've had in a very long time. This package arrived at my doorstep. Lovely, beautiful Christmas wrapping. And inside it was the United uh, Polaris cookbook, which uh, you so kindly gave me. <laughs> I, and without a hint of irony, and and I, I'm glad because it's it's a it's a good idea, and actually I know that Stephen Colbert ripped into United for for doing this, <laughs> but the recipes are I think there's like 45 recipes in there. I'm going to cook quite a few of them. It's, anyway, it's such a good idea as well, and it was very kind of you to to send it over to me. Hat tip to David 
bizarre because he's the one who actually told me, hey, have you seen there's a cookbook? I'm like, what? And I ordered it like in the next three minutes to send it to you <laughs> as a Christmas gift, which thanks to a courier arrived after Christmas, but never mind. I'm not a, a great cook, but you are. So I'm totally expecting you to test some of these uh, recipes. I believe that uh, Ben Schlappig of One Mile at a Time has recently tried some of the recipes, I think on Instagram stories, if I'm not mistaken. Have you chosen one that you would start with? You know, it's it's funny. There's some I wouldn't touch with a, with a 10-foot pole because <laughs> I, I think it would just make me angry. But um, there's a couple in here. And you can see why they've, they've gone for these recipes because they're simple but probably tasty. But there's a coconut soup with sambal olek chicken, which I think I'm going to try as well because I love those those flavors. And they have... They have appetizers, hot and cold entrees, and then and desserts and some drinks as well. I think it's it's a neat idea. In fact, I wish more airlines would do something like this. Yeah, uh, you know what? I commend United. I know they were the butt of the jokes. And like you said, Skullbert uh, compared and said uh, the, the book for economy would, would be what? You get uh, one peanut and that's it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Peanuts or cookies, choose one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. I'm gonna, I can remember. Oh, that's fantastic. But I commend United. It's a fun idea. I, I think it's pretty limited. They run probably maybe 5,000 copies, I think, because I, I don't think there's that many people would buy it, but maybe actually they'll, they'll be surprised and a lot of people will buy it. It's it's fun. I'm not sure the recipes are made for the air. As in, you know, we always talk about when we talk about food in, in airplanes that they are cooked slightly differently. I think they're made for the ground, but I'm not sure. The Sunday is there as well, I think, the, the ice cream. Yeah, and the affogato and, and some of their more, more signature dishes. So yeah, I'm excited. I I have an opportunity to go perhaps to New York in March, and I might actually fly on United. A, because they they seem to have abandoned the Saturday night rule with United, at least oh. on that route. So when BA is 1,800 pounds, as is American and, and Virgin, United is 245 pounds round trip. Oh, wow. So, I had found a very good deal. You remember when I, guys, I described my trip, I had flown United. But I had bought through Austrian because they were running a promo that was United's medal. I couldn't find that on Google Flights. It was, I cannot remember, maybe Expedia, actually, which I'm not always a fan of. But sometimes you find, like, you know, gems on terms of fares. You know what? People keep telling us that it's not a bad product. So Yeah, I'm going to give it a whirl. Next time I have to have to i have the opportunity to to go on and simply for that pricing i mean it's hard to beat so we'll see we'll see uh so now you started the episode by mentioning a hero in the airline industry of the airport we're going today another hero just passed away herb Kelleher. Oh, man. Uh, his passing is a sad day for the low fare airlines because basically he started it all, but also the sales of wild turkey bourbon because he was a big fan. Yes. Uh, so who was Herb Kelleher for those who don't know Alex? Herb Kelleher was the founder of, or co-founder of Southwest Airlines and the CEO and then the chairman emeritus until the day he died. And he was an absolute pioneer in the airline world. And he, he says that... One of the reasons he founded Southwest is because he had absolutely no idea about the airline world, and that made him eminently qualified to start an airline. My father introduced me to the idea of of Herb I never actually met him, but my dad was a big fan of Herb Kelleher and had met him on a a number of occasions and and left his – there was a book written about him in the 90s called Nuts, Mm -hmm. uh, which is the story, which I just reordered because it's such a good book and and 
his way of thinking, his philosophy, very customer-centric, very uh, employee-centric. Richard Branson cites him to this day all the time as shaping virgin customer and employee culture. He was just a, a smart, funny, a humble Texan that wasn't going to be pushed around by the big airlines. Yeah, because he started just before regulation. So he started, I think the company started in 67. And since he started within Texas, regulation didn't apply because, you know, all these... Intra-Texas, were- yeah. Exactly, exactly. But even then, the other airlines tried to, to fight him and he went uh, to the Supreme Court of Texas and won. And that's hence his airline was able to start flying, I think, in the early 70s, 70, 71, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so he was not only what he said, but he was also a maverick. So, you know, whatever, I'll, I'll, I'll go with it. And yeah. uh, without him, I mean, at some point, somebody would have maybe figured low cost, but without him, the likes of, you know, EasyJet and Ryanair here in Europe wouldn't have existed because he basically copied the model of a single aircraft 737 or very fast turnarounds, yeah. everything that we now consider almost like normal, nothing like that existed, especially if you think about it, the 70s where this era of everybody was, you know, promoting their plush, you know, products and everything you could have. So I no frills in that era. And we're talking before the big oil shocks. So why would you do no frills? And he was a visionary, really. Yeah, he, he really was. And he went through a four-year battle yeah. to try and get, you know, the legacy carriers off his back. Yeah. Uh, and, and he actually, he, funnily enough, he... The original idea, as you say, was intra-Texas. It was going. It was to serve the Texas Triangle, yeah. which is uh, Houston, San Antonio, and Dallas. And that model was based on PSA, which yep. Pacific Southwest Airlines, which is uh, exactly was a wonderful airline, which did exactly the same thing. Started with one aircraft, as you said, but he took everything that was known about airlines and said noted and ignored because I think <laughs> that we can do this better. You know, they've they started with low frills, as you say, or no frills low fare and then they they said here's exactly what your fare pays for and yeah and, and they called it transparency or they at least they do now i just think it was such a great idea such a, an important idea and it really hasn't deviated that much at all and the, the amazing thing is no matter you know the big upheavals that the airline industry including regulation again i think what protected him from deregulation is that he started his model in a deregulated spirit, because again, it was only within Texas. And when the deregulation happened, he was ready to conquer the rest of the US, uh, whereas the others had to suddenly adapt and start adapting their model. But the amazing thing is, no matter the crises and everything, Southwest since the 70s has stayed in the black. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, you know, other airlines have disappeared, go bankrupt, have made huge losses. They have stayed in the black, which is really a testimony of the resilience of the model he created. It's, yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's for, Forty-five years of profitability, of consecutive profit. That's exactly. that's staggering. And until I think they missed one quarter in, de- in the last decade, and that was it. That is a robust and well-run airline at an extraordinary level. And it's really because he laid the groundwork and he he stayed involved, uh, like I said, until the day he died. I mean, he handed it on to Gary Kelly, who's done done a great job since. But I have a huge amount of respect for him and a huge amount of respect for what he created as well. 
Yeah. And also, and I think you mentioned it's employee-centric because that's something that others that copied the model didn't copy, which started by talking about tipping in the wages. The employees' wages are not low. It was no. not like cutting on the employee wages to make more profit. It was really cutting on everything else, but it didn't stint on the employee wages uh, because he thought that each people were crucial to the, the company's success. And I mean, we all know that, but he actually did it. And customer-friendly service was the thing. Because most people tend to sometimes think about the only the no-frills part, but that's not enough by itself. You need to have the rest, which is the customer centricity. And I think his, his proudest achievement, I read that the other day, was that on 9-11, where all the other airlines were going into huge uh, rounds of redundancy, so layoffs, he didn't make any of its workers redundant, which is quite an achievement when you think about it's it. It's extraordinary. Like, again, the yeah, it's extra absolutely extraordinary. He was also known for, he was very fun. He was not someone that serious all the time. And there was, a, I think it was in the 70s or maybe early 80s when, again, all the other airlines were deriding Southwest. He went and did a TV advert and covering his head with a paper bag. And he promised to give that paper bag to any potential customer that was too embarrassed to fly on Southwest, which is, <laughs> a stunt is, is great. And the other stunt, the very famous one, is that when they chose the tagline Plain Smart, that was, I think, in the early 90s, there was the CEO of Stevens Aviation, had already trademarked Plain Smart, and Herb Gallagher uh, challenged him to an arm wrestling match <laughs> to decide who would own Plain Smart. And even though Herb lost, he kept using it, and the, the CEO of Stevens Aviation was actually happy because they both gained a lot of publicity through yeah. that. You know, game. It, it's amazing. I love that kind of stuff. I, man. I, I do too. And he, you know, I just think his ideas, his philosophies that have, that have gone into the company have changed travel not just in the US but globally as as yeah. well and you know they they when everybody else was nickel and diming passengers for bags and all of that they they said no your bags go for free and that's that's still the case that's still the case i i, I it's such a it's such a loss i think it really is and i i i'm i'm very sad that he's gone but he should you know we can all take comfort in the legacy that he's left uh, for yeah, us as travel yeah, because in, in the world when more often than not, you hear people talking about what's the future of travel. It's always about some technology and supersonic. You're like, no, think about customer centricity. Think about treating your employees well. Think about making it an experience and maybe you'll have a shot, actually. And I, and I like that. That's his legacy, really. Yeah. Uh, another person who matters, you were almost a witness of that, is 10 years ago, Sully, the miracle of the Hudson. Yeah. <laughs> that happened exactly ten years ago. You you were you were there. You I mean you were there. You didn't see the plane actually water land, but you saw it. I think. Yeah, I did. It was I was in New York for work. I had only just moved to to London, and I had food poisoning from some sandwiches <laughs> they served at a meeting. Yeah, and I was like holed up in my room, which was sort of Soho Chelsea area, and my phone is like people calling me from my friends at Virgin America. All my airplane geek friends are like. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? There's a plane down on the Hudson. And I was like, oh, no, oh, no. Holy crap, that's like two blocks from where I am. So I like pulled myself together, ran down to the banks of the of the Hudson. And it had, it had probably been on the water less than a minute, maybe two minutes. Because by the time that I had got there, it was quiet and calm. But there was an airplane sitting on the water with people all over the wings. 
my god and all of the and you know there was like i said it was quiet there were sirens in the distance there were helicopters coming over all manner of watercraft converging on this airplane and we all were just standing there looking at each other trying to figure out how the hell this plane had got here what had (laughs) happened you know everybody running theories past each other and just this is it was the most bizarre thing i had ever seen in my life I, I still, I think about it to this day and it gives me goosebumps. You've wrote on Twitter, 10 years later, these are the things that stay with me. The professionalism of the crew and air traffic controllers, the cooperation of passengers, the bravery of the rescuers and first responders, and the enduring love of my family. And I celebrate them every day. Hashtag flight 1549. Yeah, wow. I've never seen the actual movie. Have you? I haven't yet. And I don't know why I haven't. Apparently it's it's been well received other than making the uh was it the faa or somebody look a little bit more um uh demonizing them a little bit more even sully said they weren't nearly as bad as you made them sound but apparently it's it's still it's very very true and a lot of the cockpit voice recordings made it in word for word into the script which i thought was quite cool and the atc it's a global sport to make fun of government so you know the faa should know that (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) Uh, just before we started recording, we were having a back and forth on Twitter with Kobus about uh, the <laughs> labor laws in the world. It's not the point of the show, but since uh, it's also been something that mattered in your life, Virgin America, which still exists as a company, even if it's a shell of its former self, and obviously Alaska Airlines, which took uh, over it, uh, must pay $77 million to a classified attendant for not having them paid enough. I think they were not paid for their breaks uh, and all the hours they were due under California law. Good news overall. I, I think it is. It's good for, for these um, employees and these, these flight attendants. I, from what I understand, this happened while Virgin America was still an entity yeah, and yeah. Uh, Alaska inherited this this claim. The entity, yeah, exactly. Uh, so they have to pay the $77 million back to in, in in damages, restitution, and in penalties. So it's it's a lot of it's a lot of money. California has notably the most uh, worker-friendly labor laws in the US. They're not because some people call them socialists. I mean, we're let, come on, let's not compare them with France. Not to this France here, but it's, uh, yeah, well, you know what? At the end of the day, especially, you know, if they're entitled to be paid for breaks and longer hours, I think it's just fair. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You have to adhere to the law, uh, especially when you are a California company, which yep. Virgin America, Inc., was. And they tried to get around it by saying that federal law yes. supersedes state law, which is absolutely nonsense. They, I also, mean, that, they, they also said, sorry to interrupt you, also, they also said that, yeah, 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 but they actually are traveling elsewhere. So we could argue that the flight attendants are also based in other cities of the US because they are, yeah, obviously, they're flight attendants, but I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, no, give me a freaking break. <laughs> Oh, well, uh, still in the U.S., as you see, guys, we're doing a lot of U.S.-centric news to the start of this show. By the way, uh, I want to mention that now, we have content for two shows. So we're going to talk until we reach about an hour and a half, an hour 40 minutes, and then we're going to do a second show later this week or next week to be released a bit later to compensate for the fact that both Alex and I will be uh, traveling a lot in February. So, guys, you will have an episode with the caveat, as always, that some of the stuff we might say in one week might be obsolete by the time you receive it. Anyway, so back to the US. Very interesting news about the 220, the Bombardier CS series. So first, Airbus has announced that now it's engaging into a cost reduction of the program. By cost reduction, let's 
be very cautious. It's not saying that they want to kill the program, but they, they said, okay, the program was created by Bombardier with high cost. Now they're putting the Airbus machine behind it to say, okay, we're going to use our own suppliers. We're going to use our own types of contracts. We're going to basically streamline the A220 uh, program to make it profitable because I don't think it's yet profitable, obviously, because it just started. So they do, haven't released a lot of planes. So that's the first news. It impacts the US how? It's because the biggest factory in the US for that aircraft will be, uh, is, sorry, in is, Mobile, is. Alabama. Yep. And they are making, that's, that's the interesting news here. They are making more room for extra production, including the A220-500. Remember, guys, when we talked about what was back then, the C-Series, just when it was taken over by Airbus, there was a comment by one of the Airbus, maybe it was even the CEO, that the actual base model is a 300, not the 100, which means, which meant that very easily, they could simply augment it and make a 500 version, which would sit just below the 320. And that's apparently what they are looking into building in Alabama, which is great news. It is great news. I think Airbus are being smart about this. And I don't necessarily understand the... That's not really an outcry, but of course, it was inevitable that they were going to apply their own much, much, well, frankly, bigger and probably more powerful buying uh, purchasing power logistical yeah. and supply chain prowess to, to to this model as well that was a no-brainer that's kind of the reasons why you why you buy something like this but whether or not this disrupts the delivery schedule because the the 220 as a as a as a platform is proving very very popular yeah perhaps even more popular than anybody would have predicted only us we predicted it yes absolutely <laughs> of course because we are <laughs> and i absolutely this adore this plane i adore so i'm very very happy that we'll see it more and more and i said mistakenly by the way i think it was in a previous episode two episodes ago that you guys in the u.s cannot see it no it's not true because delta obviously has started flying a few of them uh we'll come to that in a minute before we continue with the 220 since we're talking about a very new plane let's talk about a very old plane and i'm sure that you alex have, have seen the news the last ever boeing 727 passenger plane has done its flight that was in iran I think two weeks ago, it did a route from Zaheran to Tehran, the second, actually, Tehran airport, not the international one. It was a 38-year-old Boeing 727-200. Wow. They, uh, those planes work hard. They worked hard for a long time. The cycles on the airframes by the time that they were retired was staggering. The nice thing is, is that you can still see 727s flying in cargo. FedEx still yep. use a lot of them, although they are aggressively phasing them out because they are not the most environmentally friendly airplanes, nor frankly, the most cost effective. Yeah, uh, fuel, yeah, fuel consumption. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's, uh, it's, it's amazing that such a plane was still flying. Obviously, Iran has, I mean... We know you know the drill has all the uh, embargo. Yeah, so they cannot get. I mean, we talked about the Norwegian story. So they they cannot buy new aircraft. So they have to rely on old aircraft. But still, that it was still flying for passengers. Man, I would have loved flying one of those. Me too. Uh, and, and we're losing the the seven sixty seven here in the UK. Well, too bad. Oh well. So back to the two twenty for Delta. So Delta is telling that they are late. Uh, expanding their 220 program, not because of Airbus Bombardier's delivery schedule, but simply because of the government shutdown, the famous government shutdown. So Trump uh, shut down the government because he wants his billions for his wall. And I mean, there's a whole story. We're not going to go into there, but that creates a whole lot of issues, including for Delta, that cannot get the certification. So because all the non-incessional work by the FAA 
is shut down. Yep. Thus, they cannot certify the new A220, though they're sitting there and not being able to fly. So I rescind what I just said about you guys being able to fly 220s in the US because, you, well, they're just laying out there until the shutdown stops. It's, it's, it's really sad. It is sad. The whole sh- shutdown thing is really affecting the aviation industry. I have a friend who hasn't been paid in a long time. Yeah. But they're all, they're all rising above it and they're, they're going to their work places and they're doing their jobs as as well as they would if they were being paid but that's a lot to ask of somebody whether you're an air traffic controller an fa inspector a tsa agent or any of the nearly million people who are not being haven't been paid in a month yeah it's the longest ever shut down in u.s history because it's been shut down in the past but this one drags and drags and drags on it does and i and i worry that we're going to get to a point soon where safety in whatever facet you want to look at it is going to be compromised well there was this story of this um a passenger was able to board a flight at atlanta to tokyo narita with a gun i think it was delta but that doesn't really matter and our friend brett in japan tokyo reporter said that this uh, lady was denied entry to japan and the same day she was returned to the u.s but still that's one lapse but it could be others yeah uh, and i'm sure that for that one there have been 10 which have been either un or underreported. Yeah. and and that's you know that's security and if you think about all of the other facets of, of flight you know the inspection of aircraft and maintenance facilities the inspection of those security facilities the people that carry out those security facilities air traffic control it's a tinderbox right now and i ad- admire and salute all of those people that are still going yeah. to work not knowing when they're going to get paid that's the craziest. That's the craziest. I selfishly, I hope that the shutdown is over by the time I hit the U.S. shores, which is in uh, what February fourth or something. But not selfishly, I hope for them that they're gonna have this shutdown, you know, close soon yeah. because they need to get paid. I mean, being working and not being paid for that long is is creating a, a whole lot of stress on the system and the stress of on the people. I would hate working and not being paid though, as as consultants, we know that sometimes you have to fight. Yeah, that's bills. Yeah. <laughs> but that's very different. Um, a Delta, I've estimated, and that was a figure given on the 15th of January, so it's already a week old, that the loss of uh, business, $25 million. So even airlines are suffering. And there was also, I think, uh, a few days ago, they had to shut down an entire concourse at Miami International because there was not enough staff. So that really puts a lot of stress on the systems and still people want to fly or need to fly simply. And it's really, I mean, we're not there. So guys, we live in the US. Tell us how it is actually flying there. Do you see a big difference? Are these queues all over the place or? Like like you said, the video of Atlanta was extraordinary. I want to know if the other airports are experiencing the same thing. And you have to wonder if it's going to get to a point where a unionized employment force like the TSA are going to walk off the job. And no one can blame them for that. Yeah, I don't know, man. Wow. (laughs) That's crazy. Strange times. Yeah, Yeah, strange times. Strange times. Uh, The one, because they are bright, you know, suns in these stories, there was one uh, that links as well to our favorite topic in this show, pizza. I saw that on Reddit, (laughs) that the Canadian Air Traffic Control Association from the airports of YQX, so that's Gander, and YQM, that's Moncton, have ordered pizzas for all their colleagues at a control center in Long Island. And that's so cool. That (laughs) is cool. (laughs) There were pictures of, you know, the pizzas laying around. And 
I mean, of course, it, that doesn't solve the shutdown or not being paid, but as a gesture, as a, an idea of a tight-knit group of people, you know, working in the air travel industry, I like that. I do too. I think it's a it's a lovely gesture, and I think it was incredibly well received by by those controllers in Long Island who who are very very important. Not to dismiss the work of other air traffic controllers, but they're handling a lot of inbound New York area traffic and outbound and everything in between. But I also think it was very well received by the aviation community as general as as a really friendly uh, gesture. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go off the U.S. a little bit. I think we'll go back a bit later. What is the best tagline that Frankfurt Airport could ever come up with? They actually said it the other day, and I love it. Do not come to the airport. Uh <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> they had uh, strikes. Everybody was striking to the point that Lufthansa was canceling all the aircraft that were leaving and landing at uh, Frankfurt. It must have been quite a sight. Literally, and I'm not joking, they were asking people not to come at the airport because they were not allowing passengers to board aircraft. So you had flights, for instance, from British Airways leaving to Frankfurt, letting passengers off, obviously, and flying back empty, which is insane and not very Germanic as well. We never think about such strikes for Germany. Yeah, or for airlines going... Just the thought of the revenue management guys picturing a an empty airplane multiple times a day on that same route, which is usually a cash cow because it's you know financial center to financial center. Right. It's, uh, yeah, it's so sorry for the jab, Frankfurt people. I hope that you find a solution to your woes. But I mean, really, do not come to the airport. I think they should put that on the buses. They are not the hub experts. No. <laughs> Uh, we had comments about uh, many other things, actually. We mentioned in our last episode, uh, Hong Kong. Hong Kong is always proving to be to create passion in people. I know that in Alex, he creates passion. It's his favorite place in the world. Yep. Uh, Suleiman Siddiqui, at Suleiman77W on Twitter, told us something that is... Actually, we should have mentioned it. We're talking about drones and drones over Gatwick, obviously. Yep. We haven't heard, obviously, any follow-up to that story. But he said, geofencing is crap. Hong Kong has clear laws about where drones are allowed and how high you can take them, and yet the geofencing system keeps failing. In summary, the geofencing is basic at best. Maybe, I'm not a specialist, maybe uh, it's true that these geofencing are not always bulletproof everywhere. I think it depends on who is implementing the geofencing. I know that the geofencing built into the DJI software, which one uses to control a DJI drone, is pretty robust and difficult to get around. Like you, it will just not take off the thing if it if it's anywhere near a restricted flight because DJI don't want the liability of you yeah, being well, down for an sure. airliner. <laughs> um, My God, yeah. <laughs> I know that when we filmed in Hong Kong, we had to hire a CAA licensed drone operator. I don't know what what they had to do to allow it to take off and fly or anything like that. I think they announce a flight path in advance like you would do for like a small aircraft. And Sure, but if they're a, using it, I can't remember, you have to ask Greg what, what kind of drone they were using, but if they were able to say, no, no, I've got oh. permission inside the app to fly, so I, I don't know how, how all that... Or maybe they have a different type of drones. I, I think uh, our friend Joseph Tame also had the authorization of flying drones over Tokyo. I believe he needs to disclose the flight path and maybe you're right maybe either the app has something or maybe he uses 
Different type of drones, like professional drones that are unlocked. I don't know how it works. I don't know how it works either. If this is something you know a lot about, please get in touch because it still seems very murky to me. Yeah, to me too, actually. I don't even have a drone. At least you do. Can you you fly them in Kent? Yes. uh, We're in a part of Kent that doesn't have a whole lot of uh, activity. Although it freaks me out. And on a day like today, which is cold and clear and calm, this is the kind of day where I want to take it up. There's no restrictions. I can take it up as far as high as it will will go. But every now and then we get low flying military aircraft. And oh. that just makes me <laughs> super nervous. I mean, the odds are infinitesimal, but I still don't want to risk it. And we have recreational aircraft. There's a an airport maybe 11 miles as the crow flies and helicopters. And I, you know, it makes me nervous. So I don't actually fly it. it as much as I want to. Uh, in my part, I think... Planes are still like 3,000 feet high when they are you know, on the landing path to Ethereum. They also sometimes have takeoffs, but they're also very high. I think the major issue is, of course, privacy. I think there's a regulation about nearby houses and stuff. And we, we do have helicopters sometimes flying, and they're flying low. Uh, so I wouldn't dare doing it either. Anyway, guys, like, like Alex said, if you have any type of insight into how do these work, the geofencing works, or have you been able to ever fly a drone next to an airport or over an airport? <laughs> Let yeah. us know. And immediately Very turn yourself into the police. <laughs> There's a great app called AirMap that allows you to look anywhere in the world and see what drone restrictions there are. Oh, wow. Yeah, and height restrictions and whether you can take off at all. I mean, we have a prison near us, not near us, but within enough for it to show up on the map. And, it, you know, it, it's cool. It's worth getting if you're even a casual or just even – it's free, so – if you're interested in this kind of thing. Yeah. I'll download that at the end of this show. I want to see that. Um, since we're in Hong Kong, let's talk about Cathay. But for something that created a lot of noise, good noise, they have a lounge etiquette. I'm sure you've read the articles out of you guys. There were like quite a few about it. I went to the, the, the Cathay Pacific website. And indeed, I had never seen it. They have a lounge etiquette, which at the end of the day is very reasonable. They ask you to keep your voice down. They ask you to use headphones, which is our biggest pet peeve oh, between Alex God. and I, to set your phone to vibrate also. And that, I love that one. Do not liberate food or beverage from the lounge. Liberate. So do not take it out. <laughs> liberate. <laughs> freedom, well, freedom. See, that, that, I remember there were a lot of threads on Flyer Talk, and I think the moderators got sick of it, in the BA one of people complaining and i i feel the same way of people stuffing you know hundred and a hundred maybe tens of bottles of uh mini bottles of of alcohol in or decanting entire bottles of johnny walker blue into an, a bottle they brought i mean really tacky as hell oh but people God. do this people do this so those i've mornings- never seen that i've seen i've seen people you know i would you know obviously sometimes i would take a cookie okay fine oh yeah I'm, that's that's okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. That's fine. I'll but let you get I, away with that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but I would never, I've never seen, yeah, I've seen people stuffing sandwiches like in their bag. Like even like I've seen a woman, I think it was one of the last trips. She had like a, a bag, like women's regular bag, whatever. And she was stuffing sandwiches. I was like, what the, what, what is wrong with you? I mean, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. But, and uh, they also ask you not to, I love the term, dilly dally in the shower facilities, which is back to the point I said when I was describing these, uh, resting small pods in, in uh, the pier at Hong Kong. They all, for the, all these things, they basically are not like enforcing a time limit, but they kind of ask you, you know, be mindful of other people might using uh, them. So 
so you know maybe do not stay in the shower for five hours and attend to your children properly which always is a, yeah. a big one and we all have different definitions but at the end of the day I think it's just if you have a, a baby that cries it's not your fault uh, that's my take but yeah if you see your kids running around if you simply ask them to stop, that's actually what is expected, I guess. Yeah, I, I, guess. I think that those are fair. And I think they were very sensible to publish them. And I, I hope people, especially the f- damn air headphones thing. Oh, yeah, 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 man. Man, I mean, you can read it on Cathay Pacific if you go to travel information and lounges. I mean, just Google Cathay Pacific lounges. You see a link. There's more rules, but basically this is the idea. It's it's the only thing I would say is that shouldn't these type of etiquette being like printed on the entry of the lounge? (laughs) Yeah, one would hope. One would hope. And I I think as we, you know, we go into app entry and all of that stuff that it should come up saying do's and don'ts. I mean, you don't want it to become kind of like you know, going to a school or something like yeah, that. But yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You know, it is sad that we we actually have to do this, but we do. Especially the headphones, you know, the businessy people doing businessy phone calls on Skype and shouting. I mean, like the hell. Oh, there's a story about that in my trip to Japan, which we might not go to today. will be in the next episode because it's a very fun story. I was live commenting this to, to Alex. It was this drunken British woman in the lounge. It was super funny. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about it when we reach that. Talking about lounge and etiquette, I've never been to the lounge called Escape Lounge. I don't know if you've been to. In the UK, they have a Manchester, Stansted, and East Midlands. In the US, Minneapolis, Auckland, Bradley, International, and Reno Tahoe. So there's only seven lounges in the world, but they have... <laughs> They have also an etiquette, but what I love about this lounge is that they have U.S. rules and British rules. The U.S. are pretty reasonable, not as um, extensive as the one from Cathay Pacific, but the ones for the U.K. are really fun <laughs> because the U.K. version adds uh, a lot of clothing that is not allowed, fancy dressing. Fancy dressing is not allowed into the <laughs> I find that super funny. Uh, and also clothing that could cause offense, like stag and hand parties. Uh, so okay. British. Yeah, fair, fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. So I love that, you know, they had to add a little bit of stuff to cater for the British. Their audiences, yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. The fancy Brits dressing. are big fans of fancy dress, I'll tell you that, of costumes. But you know what? If a fancy dress is not insulting or offensive, why not? It's you know, as long as you don't make a noise, uh, it could be a good laugh if you have a stag hand and you're. Because it's true that stag hand have a bad reputation because you see a lot of stupid stuff. But I was in a flight coming back from Barcelona just last week with BA to London, and there was a, a stag hand party. Clearly, there was a bunch of boys, but they're very well behaved. Bill had like on some costumes. It was actually fun. I don't see a problem in that. No, the problem I, I, is the behavior, right? Yeah, ex- exactly. I think perhaps they can't say no stag dues, so they just say no fancy dress, and then that yeah, just maybe uh, that, solves yeah. the problem indirectly. <laughs> So to one of uh, your friends, Alex Ostreicher at Value Deck oh, yeah. on Twitter, he couldn't find still in Hong Kong. He couldn't find pizza, but he went to the Club Otis Lounge by Hong Kong Airlines, airline that we mentioned in the last episode, and there were chicken McNuggets, and he adds, they tasted like McDonald's uh, with uh, the emoji of drooling. <laughs> <laughs> That's Alex is good at finding these uh, Hong Kong Airlines fares 
business class fares, and I think he was going down to Bali. Didn't he send us a picture of him listening to layovers yeah, the, on the flight yeah. and hoping that our the news that we discussed last last episode of them perhaps the struggling yeah, financially yeah, yeah. would uh, would not come to pass during his flight. And I agreed. I you know again, I don't want them to succeed, but. Wow, I'm I so fascinated by lounge food offerings, yes. be, be they I, heinous or absolutely wonderful. <laughs> I was thinking, if I ever had chicken McNuggets in, um, clearly not McNuggets, they're simply nuggets, but uh, in a lounge, and I don't think so. I'm trying to remember. I think mm, I'm not sure, but so we're not going to add another spreadsheet because we already had a pizza one. But yeah, good find, Alex. And anyone who wants to send us pictures of amazing food especially food that is either very comforting or very um, out of the ordinary, please do. I mean, we, we love them. And I promise you guys that I will start automating Instagram with all the pics you're sending us. I'm just knee-deep in my corporate filings this month, and I just have no time besides recording with Alex. <laughs> so, sorry <laughs> for that. <laughs> my fault. <laughs> oh, uh, Cathay Pacific, for a second time in a row, since we're still in Hong Kong, did another mistake fairs, and they honored them again. Nice. They did. Uh, it was it was really impressive. And we quipped, Alex and, and me, we quipped that we should have trackers for every single Cathay flight ever, because if they keep doing it, at some point, we might actually find a good deal. <laughs> they, yeah, the, there's something going on. For this to happen twice, I, I'm, I'm sure somebody got an earful for this one, because they're losing a lot of money on these. Emirates, however, had a similar issue. Not exactly similar, and I'll come to that. And they decided not to honor them. So first of all, let's be honest. An airline doesn't have to honor them. It's nice if they do, but they don't have. Nobody forces them to, no, right? They don't have to. And BA yeah. never does. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they right. never seem to, whenever they do. And they, to their credit, they rarely screw these up. But when they do, they like, yeah, no, this, 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 this was a mistake. We have IT issues. That's why we cannot. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah so uh, at first, some people were a bit not complaining. You know how the AV geeks can be. Oh, my uh, Emirates doesn't honor the ticket. But actually, actually, these were not on Emirates metal. These were on Malaysian. Malaysian had made a mistake when it was transferring the fees to the booking systems of Emirates. And Emirates said, which actually makes sense, that, well, we cannot honor a mistake made by that other airline when transmitting the fares because they would have to cover from the difference. So, of course, it didn't. It makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. And you can't, you can't, as you say, can't blame them for that. And Malaysian is not also in the best financial footing to start paying off, you know, like, um, like mistakes fares, I think. Yeah. Right. Talking about Emirates, you've delayed your. You were supposed to fly to Astana, and that's delayed forever for the moment, right? That, no, that's now confirmed oh. uh, beginning of March. But I'm not flying on Dubai, and I actually i I had to cancel my Dubai flight, which I upgraded using miles. The cancellation process on Emirates, as so many other things are on Emirates, was so easy. And so straightforward. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it works. It just works. Oh, so we should, I mean, which means we'll be able to finally cover Astana, but which airline will you I'm doing, with? I'm doing Air Astana nice. the whole way. Nice, nice, There nice, and nice. back. Yeah, so I'm oh, that's cool. that. We'll talk about that. I'm going, not to Astana, I'm going to Moscow myself also in that same period. I haven't decided to which airline I'm going to take. That'll be interesting. Maybe I'll do Airflot for once to, to, to yeah. see actually what Airflot is. Just out of curiosity. I, yeah, 
But though this year I have to fight for a renewal, start to fight again for renewal with British Airways one well. So I don't know yet. We'll see. Anyway, back to the stories about uh, Emirates, because Emirates seems to be also feeling the pinch like everybody these days. They have a new checked baggage policy. So if you are an economic class special or saver, they shoved off five kilos off your... So it used to be, I think, 20 and now it's 15 kilos. And if you are a saver, I think it was 30 kilos and it's 25. It's very generous. I was about to say, it's not a big... Emirates is a bit stingy on the size of the carry-on. That's the only thing. They have Mm. the size of Ryanair, basically. Still, this airline is fast becoming more traditional in how it handles all its policies, not the plush offering that it was 10 years ago. And it's yeah. not a bad thing, by the way. It's not just, you know, they have to be reasonable. Is, yeah, yeah absolutely. Way. Have you seen the uh, security flow of Amadeus? Have you read about that? No. <laughs> it's crazy. So Amadeus, which handles the booking for, what, 150 airlines in the world or something? So most of the time, if you book a ticket, it will be on their system. They were called out a few months ago that they had a huge exploit that was very easy, which basically your PNR was in the URL. It was the easiest freaking thing to catch. And of course, then try to access your, for instance, freaking flyer program or right. anything. So... So Amadeus like said, yeah, yeah, okay, we'll fix it. But what they did, they simply hid the PNR in the URL, but it's still in the source code of the HTML page. And uh, a lot of the security experts are saying, are you choking? I can brute force and enter into anyone's PNR ever in this world. (laughs) (laughs) Which is to point simply to show that these systems are really old-fashioned. The airline industry has really systems that are not as modern as one may think. No, no, that's absolutely the case. And I didn't read about this, but that's the problem is, is that this PNR exposure problem has been going on for years and years and years and years, either in technological terms like this one or people posting pictures of their boarding passes (laughs) before they fly. Less of an issue, I think, if it's post-travel, but it depends how much information the airline is exposing in Manage My Booking. Look, I, I tried once. I'm not going to say to whom. It was not you, Alex. There was a friend of mine that was two years ago, posted a full boarding pass. And I said, oh, can I do it? Last name, the number, went into the management booking. I could have done, I could have canceled a flight. I could have reattributed. I could have done everything, wow. like literally everything. And I'm sure if I were to call the airline pretending to be him with the information I had on that management booking, I could have maybe even, you know, can you change my email address and to change it to mine? And then I would have taken over the account. And let's say then he has, he would have had his credit card. I mean, it could lead to a lot of stuff depending on, like you said, depending on the airline. Some airlines you have nothing on management booking, but that airline, I think it was Air France. And it's not the fault of Air France. It was the fault of the guy putting his boarding pass on Instagram, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I don't know how you educate people to, to not do that or, 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 or where the responsibility lies. You know, is this a, a more endemic security issue? It would be interesting to explore that a little bit more. Talking about still security, the Civil Aviation Authority, so that's the UK equivalent of uh, what the FAA, is uh, <laughs> slapping in the face TUI because TUI is uh, is it a low cost as a charter, more a charter? Yeah, holiday operator. They um, recently on a flight to I think uh, Spain, Menorca or Mallorca, whichever, they had a change of aircraft and a family entered the aircraft and their seats were nowhere to be seen. The airline said, "Okay, can you sit on the jump seat?" Which why not? The only problem is that during the flight, because they needed access to duty free and the food, they asked that family to sit 
on the floor for the entire duration of the flight, which is not authorized by uh, the regulator. Yeah, how they even thought this was a good idea (laughs) is is staggering to me. So yeah, as you say, they they had seats, jump seats for takeoff and for landing, but then for the whole flight... They had to sit literally on the floor of the airplane. It's dirty as well, man. Ugh. The staggering thing, which is sometimes the case with these airlines, uh, I don't know TUI, so I'm not going to bash them especially, but when I think the mother complained at the end of the flight to TUI, TUSA, we have not this incident recorded in our system. Here's a 30-pound voucher. So then she had to go and call one of these, you know, you know, the press. They have these public things where they talk about how bad airlines are and only then, because the airline was starting to be publicly shamed, they reimbursed the whole thing. I think it was more than a thousand three hundred quid. But I mean, how? I mean, the least you could do is say, "Okay, yeah, we made a mistake. You were sitting on the floor. It's not a thirty freaking quid voucher for crying out loud. At least yeah. reimburse them for the flight." Yeah, or make with- the sensible decision and not even board them. That's- Put them on a on a on another flight back to, to the same direction. Which, by the way, begs the question. So, when the boarding pass is scanned the system doesn't match that with a seat which is actually in the plane that's i don't know that is weird and also i think perhaps this was a void to pay you know saying the denied boarding eu 261 and all that stuff as well as voluntary offload you know when they come down and say we're oversold would anybody accept a later flight in 600 bucks which is very appealing but it sounds like they tried to get around all of these and they didn't get away with it and nor nor should they at least the co-pilot had the elegance to come and thank them for their cooperation and understanding. One thing I forgot to mention about my flight with Sebgo, that boutique airline that uh, I flew from Manila to Busuanga, our yeah. airport of the... I hadn't flown an ATR-72 for a long time, and I don't recall the security, the safety speech that is being given for that aircraft, but... I had the whole explanation about the oxygen masks, right? And this one was different because it says, insert a sharp object into the hole to get the oxygen mask. And I was like, what? what? So do you give me like a sharp object, a pen or something? How will I get the oxygen mask? Do you recall having that in ATR you flew? No, 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 no. Because it would have made it onto this show. I can guarantee it. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, have you ever seen that? I mean, I was baffled. I'm like, okay, what do I have sharp in my hands that I could actually open the freaking thing? I mean, I, I would just like, Taking it with my two hands and opening yeah, it if I needed to. <laughs> <laughs> but That's, I mean, how is that legal? I, I that can't be know. the way it's designed, surely. Ah, yeah, that's interesting. I didn't think about that. Maybe they added that, they retrofitted that. I don't know, man. Holy cow. Anyway, guys, I'm relying on you. If you know about something like that, tell us. If you've ever encountered this type of situation, let us know, because I have no idea how I would have gotten my oxygen mask. Um, So I I just said that Sebgo is a boutique airline. Alex, is Gulf Air a boutique airline? I don't even know what boutique means anymore. (laughs) Small. (laughs) Small and... Yeah, but what does it mean in terms of service offering? Because this is what they claim to be now, isn't it? Because they've realized they can't compete with the ME3. So they're going to reposition themselves as a boutique airline. But what what does that does mean? mean? I don't know. I don't know, man. And the strange thing is that they say that, but everything they do. So Gulf Air Guys is the Bahrain-based airline. They just introduced like Dreamliners with a new product. They look really cool. and They have good fares from London. They're sadly not part of any alliance, if I'm not mistaken. So you're not getting miles anywhere. 
Maybe I'm wrong. But anyway, but everything they say about their new strategy seems to be a normal airline. What's the difference between you and Etihad or Emirates? Just that so you're smaller. Yeah. Or or <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's a strange positioning. And I know that, that Oman Air have been trying to find their place in the world, but they've got really strong traffic to, to India. So I think that's oh, okay. what, what they're kind of depending on as well. But I, I still, I'm not clear what this means and, and what they're going to be doing and, and how they're going to be different and how this changes their strategy. So the chairman, Zayed Al-Zayani, said he aims to create a personalized service offering that it hopes will allow it to stand out against what it describes as the bigger airlines that are more volume-driven. But I'm like, these airlines, they might be volume-driven, but they already offer, like, awesome service. What else can you offer? I mean, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, anyway. Um, oh, one second. Let me just unclip yeah, 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 this yeah, yeah. Bye, 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 bye. It's, like it's okay. Pulling. Mm. Something's <laughs> moved, or I've replaced the cable or something. Anyway. Okay. Good. <laughs> I almost want to leave that in. I don't have issues with his, with his yeah, cable. <laughs> um, uh, well, yeah. So since we're in the Middle East, Qatar, so Qatar is feeling the pinch. Uh, I think I've used that sentence already somewhere in this episode uh, because, of course, of the blockade that still happens and that is forcing them to, I don't know, forcing, I don't know if that's the right term, but they are being more open to strike a deal with the European Union to actually have a full kind of open skies agreement, which is great news for Europe and great news for Qatar if that ever happens, no matter what you think about Qatar Airways. Yeah, they've been they've been really punished by this blockade. Again, whether you think it's the quote-unquote right thing to do is probably near, not here nor there, but full access to the EU will uh, really relieve some of this pressure from that from that blockade. And actually, I think it's, it's good for the traveling public as well. Yeah, I fully agree with you. Interestingly, the UAE, so both Etihad and Emirates, they uh, stopped this process. They were engaging in that process and no, 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 we're going to still do like bilateral agreements, uh, whatever. Now, the question is very clear. Will BA move to Qatar in order to stay a European airline after Brexit? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, so many of the, of the political you know, speculation and whiteboarding and, and theory that's being bandied around that, what was it, Iberia and Vueling could no longer fly outside of Spain after Brexit because... What? Wow. Yeah. And again, it's one of those things that what the EU would, in reality, never enforce, but it is theoretically possible that that, that would be the case. And I so nuanced, and there's so many tendrils to this it's just well we I, don't know anything i mean this no. brexit thing we have no deal and no idea what's going on and we're supposedly exiting in a few months and nobody knows anything anyway let's not dwell on this we have enough of that every time we open a computer in or a newspaper in this in this country so yeah. um just one little thing about qatar because we have to kind of pay homage to our earlier episodes up to episode 25, where the, everything we were talking about with the U.S. against the ME3 and the U.S. now saying that, hmm, our arch nemesis is called Air Italy. Yeah, they, they're, <laughs> they're basically saying that Air Italy is a conduit for Qatar Airways activity into North America. I thought yeah. we'd be we'd done with this. Just Just compete, you know. Just yeah. compete. Let's yeah. you know, let's apply free market economics to the airline industry and see what happens. <laughs> yes, exactly. Let's follow what Arab Kelhar was doing. Like actually compete. So back to happier news. A news that makes you very happy makes me also very happy. 
it's official. British Airways will repaint some of its aircrafts for its 100th anniversary. Yes. Awesome. So cool. And they're doing them. They're doing four, I think. And the first one they've revealed is, is a 747 going to be in BOAC colors. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. And it's going to be it's going to be flying on the 19th of February. Oh, no way. Yeah. So it's flying to Dublin at any minute. And then uh, we'll be ready on the 18th of February in this wonderful retro BOAC model. I'm hoping that at least one of them is the Landor, which is the classic British Airways livery. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And then I don't know, maybe a British Caledonian with the tartan tail. Who knows? That would be really nice. Because at the same time, Alex Cruz has confirmed that BA is not changing its livery. The new 350s that are being delivered right now are being painted in the current livery so there's no change so this is yeah, really yeah, that's fine no 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 I, I agree with you I'm just saying that if you want to see something different from British Airways this is your shot I don't know for how long they will go but I hope they stay because especially that 747 is going to be for those geeks who want to track it G-BYGC it looks awesome yeah. it looks really awesome I, I'm very I can't wait to see if, how far they go back because the BOAC one is is pretty old but I think if they could go back to like Empire or, uh, or Empire, Imperial Airways. <laughs> Empire. Uh, Darth or, Vader. Yeah. Or, or British Caledonian would be cool. There's so many opportunities because they've, of course, absorbed so many airlines in the, in the past that, uh, you know, there's, there's lots to pick from. So I'll be very interested to hear what their, uh, their final choices are. Thank God we're talking about aviation because you saying that British should go back to empire is not very... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> On the other hand, I'm not a big fan of the new Aer Lingus livery. It's, yeah, it's kind of a shame that they... Yeah. That, that you could spot an Aer Lingus plane yeah. from several hundred miles away. <laughs> exactly. That's the point. That's why it's so distinct. But they've gone Euro white with the yeah. green tail and the green sham- lighter green shamrock. Someone was saying it reminds them of the Alaska Airlines livery. But actually, I, th- I quite like the Alaska Airlines livery. Set aside what I think about the airline. It's not nearly as dynamic or interesting as that. It's, it's just... Very same. I wonder why they chose to do this. Perhaps less paint. That's kind of what I think. <laughs> because a lot of it is white, like you say, Euro white. Guys just googled it up. They went into a big speech about saying how the the diodrum, so the, the Cloverfield, you know, the, it's it's being angled to imitate speed. I'm like, okay, no, stop, stop. I mean, that's that's <laughs> exactly, what frustrates whatever. me yes. about these about these yeah. rebrands. Yeah, they go into so much. Just tell us why you did it, and yeah, you yeah. know, it just gets a bit silly after that. I was in Barcelona, as uh, as I told you guys, uh, just last weekend or two weekends ago. Now I'm I'm, I'm confused. I had a yeah, great time. I'm not a big fan of Barcelona Airport, but that's for another episode. But I saw when I was exiting the aircraft, I saw S7. That livery is so distinctive. The same idea, like you just said, you can spot it from so far away. I love it because it's different. I do too. I think I think it's a very cool. I, I've never flown them. They are part of one world, aren't they? Which is they're the kind of the quiet, uh, quiet or dark horse, and or very very bright green horse in that uh, <laughs> alliance. But it's a cool freaking livery, and it's one of those ones where you're like, how long is this going to last? Because uh, you know that can't be an, a, a cheap paint job. Clearly not. I actually looked. I think I mentioned it on the show um, two years ago to go to Asia doing S7, which would have included three layovers within Russia. 
The only problem is the visa situation because I wasn't sure if, I mean, Moscow is fine, but other like smaller airports in the middle of Siberia, I'm not sure they would have allowed me to do a layover without a visa. I wasn't yeah. sure and that I didn't try it because I would have loved to try a seven for once. And I could actually do a seven to go to Moscow. Oh, now that I think of it, maybe, haha. And that's yeah. one world you said. Oh, that's it is points. one world. Yeah. 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 Oh, there you go. Okay. Maybe I might do that actually. I know that that will please some of our listeners. We have listeners in Russia. So guys, tell me if I had to choose between Aeroflot and the seven, which one I should choose. Yeah. Maybe. I'd love to hear that. And I found at Barcelona, the one thing I found the worst e-gates in the world so they've introduced e-gates i don't know for how long for because the last oh, it's not true actually i was there like six months ago and i don't recall them they're the freaking slowest i think they're using a version of windows ce no i'm kidding oh my god <laughs> it's like windows ce holy yeah. crap <laughs> It's I like that super slow. I think you need to have a license to use these machines. It's just, and on the way out, it was slightly better, but the way in these machines make no sense. The UI is bad. It's clearly designed by somebody's only experience is MS Paint. Really, <laughs> really, really bad. Honestly, guys, I mean, they're the worst thing I've ever seen. Oh, well. The good thing is I had, a, on the way back, I had a, British Airways 320 uh, Neo. So I was in economy in nice. uh, emergency exit seats. Uh, great views when we were taking off from Barcelona. There was this, um, it was like just before sunset. So the hues were like rose and very light blue and red. And well, I, for the first time ever, I actually sent, you can actually try to send your pictures to British Airways. They have a thing called Cloud Bank and they might feature it on their high rise. Yeah, I think magazine, it's called. Yeah. Uh, the picture came out so great that I sent it to them. Uh, let's see if they actually feature oh, it. Oh, cool. <laughs> I don't think they will, but it's really, really nice. I had my camera and everything. The only story I want to mention about that, that, that flight is we had a medical emergency on the way back in that 320 Neo that was clearly new for like a day because it was smelling of plastic. Uh, <laughs> so the, this was one of the member of the stack party I mentioned earlier, not that he was drunk or anything because these guys were clearly rowers. You know, they were really super well built. The guy suddenly, I, I don't know the whole, the whole extent. That's not the point. I'm not here to, you know, to pry and whatever bad situation he was in. So clearly, you know, there was some commotion. We had a dreaded call of, you know, the on the PA, is there a, a doctor on board? First question, do you think there's always a doctor on board where they do that? What it seems to be somebody qualified in some capacity whenever I've been on a plane where they've requested assistance. Yeah, there's always at least a nurse. I mean, someone who can do something more than, you know, there was two. There was one NHS woman who ended up actually taking care of the man and uh, I saw one man coming from business class, but he was not needed. But it's interesting. So we have pilots listening to us and also crew. Do you always end up finding someone in the aircraft. I'm wondering, honestly. I know that for, I don't know if they still have it, but when I was flying Virgin Atlantic a lot, they had a system where if there was a, a person in distress and they couldn't get access to a doctor, they could place, I don't know what they're called, sensors, monitor patches onto a person, oh. and the information would be beamed down to a doctor on wow. the ground in real time who could then advise the crew on what to do and and whether the pilot should divert or not. I, I don't know if they still do that or how well it went, but uh, I know it was a point of pride for them. I had no idea. Wow, that's that's fascinating to learn. Thank you for you answering part of my question, actually, because <laughs> I know I, it was, I hadn't had a medical emergency for a long time and I, all these questions, uh, the guy was fine at the end. Yeah, let's maybe say that. He, he still went through two bottles of oxygen. So he had like some wow. heart... 
I think it was arrhythmia or something. I'm not a doctor. I should have asked my father. He would have known he was one. But he was fine at the end, clearly, because, you know, we, we landed and uh, we were asked to stay seated until the medical staff was entering and checked on him. Uh, actually, you know what? It was a nice sight for once that to see all everybody was super well behaved. Nobody was complaining that we had to wait until deplaning. Everyone was silent and very respectful. That's good. You know, yeah, because we always hear the you know we always hear the stories of somebody doing some moronic thing on the flight, and it's nice to see that you know people were simply respectful and patient. Yeah, it was it was, it was nice. And how do you thank that doctor that helped? Because I saw in this instance, I don't have of course again the full picture. I was just two row behind the dude who was uh, affected by this uh, medical emergency, so I had some first row view, whatever. I saw that the doctor, the NHS woman was given, at the end, two bottles of champagne by the crew, which was a nice gesture, probably the, old, the only thing they had in the, yeah. the, the flight, because it was a short flight, two hours or whatever. And I also overheard both the pursuer and the pilot saying, uh, we should get your name. I was wondering, do they thank them? Do you think they get miles or they get like a flight or something? Yeah, I think it varies from carrier to carrier. And I think it's one of those things that, that is and should be uh, handled by corporate. Yeah. I, I think in the US, it's one of those things that's handled uh, very generously with first class tickets anywhere that the airline flies. I've heard that nice. many, many times before. I don't think it's ever financial because I think that opens up a whole different can of worms. But one would hope that, especially if it helps the airline avoid a diversion, which can be incredibly expensive, not to mention inconvenient for everybody involved, that they uh, they should be thanked profusely and generously. Yeah, I was like, you know, I mean, she spent the flight taking care of him, at least attending to him. And I'm like, you know, it's still something you know otherwise we might have had to reroute yeah i'm sure they, they do something but maybe some pilots and some people that listen to us maybe you have an experience of that can you tell us what you i think? would love to know what that yeah if there's this policy or if it's at the you know discretion of the person answering the call and final question and that's i'm not asking you maybe you know but i'm asking again our friends pilots here why is it that in some airports the gate number and the bay number is the exact same one and in other airports, for instance, here, Barcelona, Barcelona, the gate is D12 and the bay is 210. Wouldn't it be easier that they always match the number of the gate and the number of the bay in which the aircraft sits in front of? And it's a silly question, purely OCD me, because I'm like, why is it not the same number? I'm, I was fascinated. I, I believe know. it's because it allows the airports to reconfigure gates um, and add yeah, multiple gates right. to a single bay if necessary, if there's a bus uh, addition. And if, if you do that, then it doesn't screw up the numbering. Sometimes it, it denotes the terminal or the side of the terminal, the, the, the number before the uh, the bay number itself or the orientation of it from what i understand it's a good question though what a magnificent illustration of why alex is smarter than me no no because it bugs me <laughs> no, too no. <laughs> i'm always fascinated by it because you want to know when you're looking at it and you're trying to figure out what gate you're going to be at especially when you're connecting that uh, i've wondered about that myself yes so, as we said earlier, we have content for two shows. So now we're going to go for some reviews because some of you took the time to actually write to us. So nice of you to, to do that. And we want to acknowledge you. And the rest of the news will be for our next uh, show, which, again, as I told you guys, will be recorded soon. But you'll have it in, well, three weeks or something. <laughs> yeah. 
So first, actually, we had a, a review on LinkedIn. I mean, it's more of a message, but it's also a review from Clemente Geronimo. He's a great fan of the podcast. He says something really nice. Says, I doubt there is hardly anyone listening to it without becoming one. So becoming a fan. That's really kind of, of him to say That's that. That's nice. Thank you. Keep up that excellent entertainment. He used to travel quite a lot intra-Europe and US. Nowadays, I'm more traveling at flight level zero, which means crisscrossing the Iberian Peninsula by car. <laughs> <laughs> and, and your episode length allows for binge listening pretty often. Binge listening, man. Binge listening to us? I'm not, I'm not sure how I, I feel about I couldn't believe that, that either. <laughs> and finally, he says he can't wait for our upcoming episode of Lisbon, LIS. As a local, tell us the truth, guys. We can handle the truth. <laughs> we'll have it soon, promise yeah, you. Yeah, I, I don't, don't, don't fret too much. No, no, we, we don't dislike it. Don't worry. Uh, we'll, we'll tell you when we reach it because I have, I think, on the list 17 airports that we've been to that we haven't covered yet. So we're pretty much set for the entire year. Yeah. <laughs> a shout out, I forgot to do the last episode, Shame on Me, Plain Talking UK, which is, a, of course, a very well-known podcast based here in the UK talking about aviation. I was, I mean, we were, but you could make it. We were invited on their Christmas show, along with a lot of other AV Geek podcasts. It was a big bash of talking about aviation or air travel. It was super fun. It's episode 248. That's a Christmas show. Since then, I think they've recorded at least three, but... Give a listen to these guys. Subscribe to them. They're really cool. They're really fun. I, I was already on one episode, I think 236. I forgot now the number, but 248. The Christmas show was super fun. Watch it because you can watch it on YouTube just for the start. The intro is super fun. They actually did a composite video with all our faces. I mean, you'll see <laughs> so that. It's cool. super, super fun. They're doing a super cool job. On iTunes, uh, Apple Podcast, five stars by Cool Run 84 from the US. By far the best aviation podcast out there. That's too kind. Oh. It's the type of podcast that when it comes out, you stop listening to whatever other podcast it was you were listening to in order to listen to this one immediately. Wow. Wow, yeah, wow, exactly. Even though I've worked in the aviation industry a number of years, I always find myself learning something new and immediately having the urge to jump on a plane and travel to wherever they are talking about. Highly recommended. Alex, we're becoming now responsible of where people want to fly to. We have to be very careful. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, another one, another five stars by DK Revenge from Australia. Really interesting podcast for anyone who enjoys our travel. Most of the content is related to Europe and US, but the hosts make a real effort to get more exotic and far-flung destinations. I know, guys. We do. Not going to Australia enough. I love how interactive it is. Alex and Mr. Paul. Mr. Paul. <laughs> Mr. Paul. Yes. My social media feedback to them on the air a few times. Five stars from Australia, and that's his favorite podcast. Uh, so I, because obviously you're using a different username probably on Apple Podcasts and you use on social media, Media, so I'm not sure who you are in social media, but thank you so much for your review. And on Facebook, five star from Zane Zanengi, long-time listener. He interacts actually a lot with us. Paul and Alex expertly muse about all things airline travel with copious amounts of cheeky and charming humor. That's really nice to say, honestly. I've been called cheeky a lot, but very charming. <laughs> you are charming, Alex. Oh, You're that's charming. kind. 
Charlie Gibbs, uh, 1976. That's on Instagram. He's super cool. So he's based here in the UK. He's very often interacting with me on Instagram to the point that he's, he's taking this habit that's really funny. He's asking me when I'm in the airport and about to fly, he's asking, so what flight are you on? And then tracks me on, on one of these apps and sends me the screenshot. You're two pretty cool guys that we can relate to. And you inspired me and my wife to fly business in May. Oh, wow. So we're not only responsible of the destination, we're also responsible on the class now. Oh, my God. Nice. (laughs) Taylor Moore. That's for you, Alex. Taylor Moore. um, Taylor Moore 4000, right? Exactly. 4000, yes. Um, Ethro T3. The best lounge is Cafe. Qantas Lounge is good for breakfast only. And American Ah. Airline Lounge is only good for bottles of water and candy. Oh, so that that surely means it's not a uh, full Admirals Club or whatever. He adds exactly that. He adds that the AA Lounge is nothing like the flagship ones like at LAX. So there we go. We know it now. I tried looking into going into it when I was flying to Barcelona because I was leaving for Terminal 3. They have very strict rules about who gets to enter. And because, although I'm Emerald One World, so I could have entered, but because I was not flying intercontinental, I don't think they would have let me in. Uh, and I ended up going... And you know what? For once, I ended up going to the BA one, the first, and not the Cathay one, just to see how it was. And it was okay, but Cathay is still the best yeah. indeed. At Laycock underscore Richard, so Richard Laycock, he said that he's just listened to episode 68 about Jakarta. That's a long time, at least a year ago now. And he loved the review of Garuda. And that prompted him to ask us, what was our overall best experience in 2018? So do you have one or two or three experiences that will flash in front of your eyes when you die. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't, you're not going to die, Alex. <laughs> I don't think, with- <laughs> uh, don't think as spectacular as that, but I, I did think about this when I saw this come in, and I think that my Jet Suite X experience was wow. uh, something that really stood out because it reminded me that this is what flying could be like. You yeah. Know, the private terminal, the very easy transfer, the very easy security process. Oh, this is this is fantastic. I really enjoyed that. That was definitely a standout for me. Yeah, for me, um, yeah, of course, that Garuda experience was one of the the standouts, probably the standout. But emotionally, watching the World Cup within NA with the crew asking me for the score when I was flying from uh, both ways, actually, but I think I particularly remember the one leaving from Japan and landing to Bangkok, if I'm not mistaken, the one where Japan was actually playing. That was the funnest, most memorable experience. Yeah, that's so cool. <laughs> probably, probably. Again, Garuda, of course, in the first class, whatever. But this, this, this was. This yeah. was. So there you go. There you go, Richard. Guys, if you have any uh, one you want to share with us, you can always do that on all our accounts. Three more uh, feedbacks, and then we go to the airport, and you'll wait for the rest in our next episode. Craig, Craig McCormick at Glen Africa Craig, our favorite brewer. Brr, yeah. Travel hack. If you've ever had a high-status frequent flyer card in the past, keep a hold of it. Turns out security and gate staff don't check expiration dates on the cards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've tried that a couple of times and with mixed results, but it's it's always <laughs> worth a punt. Yes. Hey, hashtags that rebels come. Uh, yeah. I- <laughs> also on Instagram, just because I've never answered you, 
Maria, you asked me, what is your job? Pilot? No, we're not pilots, but we fly a lot. <laughs> That's fun that people would think that we are. And uh, Chris Turnbull on Twitter at um, MRCPTUK. So I mentioned, and again, I promised that I would put all these pictures of uh, our podcast being played in flight on Instagram. But this one is particular because... Chris did actually put our podcast directly on the IFE in Emirates. So you see our podcast being played on the screen That's in so business cool. class. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> Thank you so much, Chris, for that. And first time in Jay, so first time in business class for him. And he thought that playing our podcast would be a good way of marking it. Well, man, I don't know if that was a good way, but I hope you had a great flight with your wife, uh, because Emirates yeah. Business Class is always great, so really. And thank you. Thank you for the feedback, man, really. Yeah. Now, let's go to this airport, because we're reaching the end of our show. What's the name again? Billy Toronto. Bishop. Billy Bishop. So what is this airport? Why did you go there so often? And why do you know everything about its background? <laughs> Billy Bishop, Toronto City Airport. Yeah, it's it's basically their London city. It's on an island right next to downtown Toronto, It's very small. Its longest runway is only uh, 4,000 feet, which is very small by commercial standards and even small by kind of, you know, metropolitan or regional airports that have no commercial traffic. They only do like just under 3 million passengers a year, but it's a great little airport. It's used almost exclusively by Porter, who are a fantastic little airline that uh, I fly them from either Boston or New York to Toronto, but they also fly to Chicago. They fly to Newark. They fly, of course, a lot of places in in, uh, in Canada as well. They're, I love Porter Airlines. They're a fantastic little airline and they run Q400s out of there. And the reason I like the airport is because it's small, just like London City. It's compact. It's efficient. It's almost always business, but not nearly as as, as much of a a skew towards business travelers is London City, but a lot of people who know what they're doing, which okay. is always a yeah. joy. They've got no faffing at security <laughs> and any of that. It's connected to the to the quote-unquote mainland by this pedestrian tunnel, which is kind of fun. And then there's a ferry as well, which I think is – and correct me if I'm wrong, Toronto friends. I think the ferry is only for employees of the, of the airlines in the airport. It's so much closer than YYZ, the main Toronto International, which actually isn't that bad to get in and out of. That's a big behemoth of an airport compared to Billy Bishop. It was going to be expanded to accommodate Porter's order of the A220. One was dependent on the other. It was the CS100 when they ordered it. But they said, we're only going to confirm this order if the local and regional authorities commit to expanding the airport to accommodate the airplane. There was oh. a general election in Canada, and which I think also was local elections. And they said, we're not going to expand it. So they canceled the order, which I think is a shame, but that's okay. It, it is what it is. It's named after Billy Bishop, who I mentioned, who was a Canadian World War I flying ace, who received the Victoria Cross the Companion of the Order of Bath, the DSO and Bar wow. 
Military wow. Cross, the Distinguished Flying Cross, the Canadian Efficiency Decoration, the Chevalier of, of the Legion of Honor, and the Croix de Guerre from, from France as well. Oh, my God. Yeah. He participated in the First World War and in the Second World War. And when the Korean War broke out, he was 62 years old and volunteered himself for service. My but the, God, the, wow. the, the, the Royal Canadian Air Force said, you know what? You've, you've done your bit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank you very, very much. And he passed away shortly thereafter. But uh, what an extraordinary man. He was an air marshal, and the least they could do is name an airport after him. And what a great little airport it is. Uh, I'm a big fan of this place. Would you do a layover there, or would you go to the city? I, would, I wouldn't do a layover in the airport because uh, it's, it's very sparsely furnished because you're just in and out of there so quickly. But the city's right there, so yeah, you know, yeah, no, no, cool. no problem. And it's a fun flight from New York to, to Toronto, especially during the winter. You get some spectacular scenery uh, oh, sure, uh, of the Great White North. I'm just such a big fan of them and that airline as well. Besides flying from the U.S. and, of course, from Canada, you, there's no international flights, right? Because, like you said, there's no capacity to land something no. bigger. No, there's uh, only the U.S., Right. Yeah. And okay. uh, interestingly, there's um, it's a big uh, operator of air ambulance services because it's close to some of the big downtown hospitals in Toronto. Oh, wow. as well as seaplane. So there's a seaplane port there as well on this island. Oh wow! So when I go, when I end up finally going to Toronto proper, so not in the airport, which I might have done, like I said at, at the top of the show as a kid. Instead of flying directly to the big one, I should go to New York and then fly to that one. That could be cool. Uh, yeah. I mean, the only ball ache is that you have to go through U.S. customs. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Well, uh, or U.S. immigration. But it's it's worth it, especially if you're wanting to get in and out of Toronto quickly. Yeah, because I usually go to work in New York at least thrice a year. So I have a I have a reason to go to New York. I don't really have one to go to Toronto, but if I'm there, I could expand by two or three days and just fly there and back. That could be well, it could be a good. Place. It's too cold right now, though, because January in, in Toronto. I mean, it's cold-ish here in the UK. But that was the last time I was in <laughs> Toronto was in, in January, and it was very cold. So do they de-ice the planes? I guess they must have to. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't have to, or not that I can recall. I can't remember, to be honest with you. One, one would assume they would have to. Guys, if you have any other little tips and hacks or comments about an airport, or if that's your airport, because now we pretty much cover the entire world by people saying, that's my airport, why don't you cover it? So if that's yours, <laughs> yeah, let us know if you forgot something. When was the last time you flew there? Like uh, one, two years ago? or Yeah, probably two and a half years ago. But still, you have been in a half nut. Very yes. jealous. I should do another spreadsheet where we count the airports we've been to. There's a lot of them that correspond, but there's a few ones that other of us have not been to and we need to catch up to each other's travels anyway on that we're not going to do the next travels because we're going to record another episode before we actually travel next but you know that alex is going to mexico and i'm flying to san francisco via dubai and hong kong which to people that said why don't you fly emirates from Dubai to San Francisco because it's a direct. I'm like, yeah, but it's also three times the price. Exactly. <laughs> so that's why I'm flying Cafe. A Cafe is amazing. And I have the opportunity of staying 10 hours in Hong Kong, which allows me to go in the city, have some food, and go back in exactly. the aircraft, which is a very, very good idea, which 
no matter how much I like the bar in the back of the 380 business class, it's still better to be underground in Hong Kong and uh, do some food and shopping. Exactly. And I know that uh, while we won't be talking about future travels in the next episode, we will be certainly talking about this because right now there is an Aeroflot 737 that has been hijacked. What? And has just landed safely, thank God. Going Where? from somewhere in Siberia uh, to Moscow and then on to Afghanistan. And it was hijacked en route. It just landed safely. So I guarantee you, as we learn more, that will dominate the next conversation we have. No laughing matter, but I'm glad that at least is on the ground safely. Who knows how this is going to end up? Well, there you go, guys. You know one of the topics of our next show. <laughs> <laughs> and on that, guys, safe travels. Happy everyone. travels, guys.